song spoke to us about his grace, uh, the Lord's unmerited favor. And uh, the truth of the matter is, we're not going any place without his grace. We're stuck. But because of his grace and his offer, primarily the gift of his son, Jesus Christ, and the plan of redemption, then we have all hope. And not just here and now, but for the future. Amen. Thank God for that, right? We have all hope because of what Jesus did for us at Calvary's cross and how he secured for us salvation. We belong to him. Scripture says that we've been bought with a price. We're his. I don't know if uh, you have captured what that means, especially in the story of Esther, that he has a people. We can touch on uh, how we started this sermon some weeks ago with the promise that he made to Abraham that he would make him great, a great nation and a great people. God's promise to Abraham. Uh, he's the father of the faith. Amen. That's what he's called. And um, we are his descendants by faith. We've been adopted into the family. But these people, the Jews, they were their his physical uh, this physical people on on the planet in Persia were being threatened. So Mordecai, and the, we saw last time, this is Esther's cousin who took care of her because she was an orphan. Uh, he um, was uh, aware of this plan that Haman had to destroy them. So uh, Haman, he's the horrible one in the story, he had built a gallow, uh, and he, a ridiculous, um, absurd, over-the-top kind of uh, place to execute Mordecai. And uh, so that's where we ended off in chapter 5, at the end of chapter 5. What's going to happen? Who's actually going to hang on that, on that gallow? You know, we'll see right now. So we're going to start uh, in chapter 6. So you should see on the screen. I, I think I can make it into 7. Chapter 7 is more about just kind of reading through and coming to the end of the story. We've still got a couple more after that, but this is starting to wrap up. Why don't we do this? Why don't we pray for the sermon? In the meantime, they're going to have this ready uh, up on the screen. Father, thank you. Uh, we ask for your presence here this morning as you promised that wherever two or three of us are gathered together in your name, that there you would be in their midst and in our midst. Here you are in a, with us, in the middle with us. And uh, we just ask for your help. We ask for your spirit, Lord, to help us to see and understand and then take what we have learned today and apply it to our lives outside in, in this world that we live in and wherever we go, home or to work or um, around in the neighborhood, to shopping, the grocery store, that we would be a light and that we would be salt as we're, t we're supposed to be in, in, a, in a world that really doesn't care about you and uh, is in darkness and unaware, Lord, of, of your promises and of so great a salvation. Help us to be the ones that share it with them. Help us to be the ones that bring them good news. 
And we would just thank you for that. We pray for our sermon, your blessing and your protection, and every provision that's needed this morning. And we ask it in, Je- ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm just going to kind of go like I do, verse by verse. Here we're in chapter 6. This first little section, we discover uh, the king's insomnia. Anybody know what insomnia is? Sleeplessness. Any here, anybody here, night owls? I mean, you're tired, but your brain is still moving. That's kind of how it works, doesn't it? Anybody here, like, 12 o'clock is early for you. Now, there's the opposite. There are those of you that are already in bed by 8. That's, I can't imagine that. You know what I say? The day begins at 8. So I'm one of these um, sleepless persons, um, just like the nighttime, where it's quiet, where you can reflect. Everyone else is sawing logs. So the king had this problem. He says in verse 1, on the night, well, on that night, the king could not sleep. That's what the scripture is telling us. And he gave orders to bring the book of memorable deeds, the chronicles, and they were read before the king. It's a perfect time for reading when you're sleepless. How many of you guys know, if you grab a book, or I don't know if you have a Kindle, or not, you have something on your phone, and if you can't sleep, just find something to read. And you'll be surprised how fast he will, you will doze off. So that's the case here with, uh, with the king, Asuherus. He asked that the chronicles be read to him. What are these? These were the kind of a record, if you would, of all of the, the events of the kingdom. Like, for instance, you can look on there. Oh, look. I gave an order here to buy 500 chariots for the army. Or over here we see, you know, he read in, uh, in another chronicle that he raised the salary of all the federal employees at 5%. That's the kind of stuff he put in there. Oh, look, we lost the war to the Greeks here on this date. So that's what it was. It's, it was a history book. And then I'm going to guess that he was hoping that it would make him sleepy again. Well, what happened was interesting is that he learned about Mordecai. His memory was refreshed about what Mordecai had done for him. Do you guys remember a couple chapters ago how Mordecai was loyal and aware, uh, alert to... uh, a conspiracy by his two eunuchs to kill him and he made Esther aware and Esther made the king aware and then the king had them eliminated. He removed the threat. So he's reading about Mordecai and how he was a faithful subject and how that Mordecai had saved his life. Now, I'm trying and. It's just hard sometimes because it might sound like I'm repeating myself over and over again. 
But every story in this book is, and everything that transpires as we read it, it happens at the right time. It was necessary and it was the right time for him not to be sleeping. Because what was going to happen the next day? Mordecai is going to be hung on this gallow because Haman is going to come into the court of the king and request his hanging. Timing is perfect. No, it's, it's just coincidence, isn't it? I mean, lucky Mordecai. No, it's not luck. And it's not a coincidence. It's God's hand. And here's what I have to say about how God operates. His timing is always perfect. Yes, he's never late. And he's never early. Now, sometimes it feels like he's early because when he does begin to work in our lives or when he does bless our lives, sometimes we're like not ready for it, but not that he's early. It's just that we're not usually in sync with him. Amen? God's never late. And he's never early. So what does, what does it make him? What kind of attributes do we know that exist with him because these are the things that help us to know who he is and by knowing who he is then we have something we can trust in amen oh man i wonder if god's gonna gonna be there for me tomorrow's my interview oh man i wonder what's gonna happen if god's gonna uh, be there for me because tomorrow I go in to find out what, uh, what the MRI says. You know, it's just financial stuff in your life or your health. I mean, it's just stuff of life. And if you belong to the Lord, timing is per it needs to be perfect. One of the things that I've learned and I'd like to share with you is that the Lord wants us to to learn how to wait on him. Because when it comes to what we request or petition him for, we, we, we have to know that, he, again, he's never early and he's never late. So we have to learn to be ready when he is. Amen? Waiting on the Lord is so important because it also helps us not to jump ahead of him and ruin things. And a lot of times why the Lord delays is because He's waiting for us to stop. Let me do it. The perfect example would be Abraham when they were told that they would have a child, him and his wife Sarah. And you know how many years went by because he was 75 years old when the promise was given to him that he would have an heir and that heir would be a blessing to all the nations of the earth. We know it's a reference to Christ right? And 25 years went on. He was almost 100 when Isaac was born. But in between those 25 years, he got impatient. Or he may have even had his, shake, his faith shaken, right? Not his shaken faith. Well, you can have that too, can't you? And so what, who comes into the picture? 
and say, hey, I got an idea, honey. This is what Sarah's suggestion. Uh, my handmaiden, Hagar, remember where they picked her up in, in uh, Egypt? When he ran down there during a famine, instead of waiting on God, he said, hey, we better get out of, we better scoot out of here because there's no, there's no, no water, there's a drought, there's no crops, there's no food. What are we going to do? So they run into Egypt, and then all kinds of weird stuff happens down there. You can go back and look at it in Genesis 13. And so uh, bottom line is they come out of Egypt, and they have all these servants that were given to them by the Pharaoh so they could leave as fast as, fast as possible, gold and silver and, and animals, and they went out richer than when they came in. But there was this woman named Hagar who was an Egyptian Sarah suggests in that waiting period of 25 years, and somewhere in there, hey, why don't you take her as a surrogate? She can be a surrogate mother, and we'll have that, we'll help God out, and we'll have that baby that's going to be the one to bless all the nations through Hagar. And guess who's born? Anybody remember his name? Ishmael, who has forever been a thorn in the side of the flesh of Israel. So we don't need to help God out. We need to learn to wait for His perfect plan. And when it comes, it will be perfect and it will astonish you. And you'll say, wow, that, that's so awesome. Well, that's what's happening here. This man needs to read the Chronicles. So the speculation or the assumption here is that somehow, some way, he wasn't able to sleep that night. And I say, oh, how, what a coincidence. And then somehow, some way, the person who goes, right, to find the book just happened to find the one that had the recording about Mordecai and how he saved the king's skin. And then, of course, if you, I don't know if there were scrolls or books, they, these t tend to lend themselves to be books. They just happen to fall on the part where it talks about Mordecai. There's just way too many coincidences going on. Don't you see? It's uh, really God guiding every step along the way. Do you believe that about God? Because that's what this story is telling us over and over and over again. You really can rest, church, in whatever it is that you're going through in your life. Whatever is your plans are or whatever expectations you have, whatever things you're anticipating, you know, a raise or uh, a promotion or a wife or, I don't know, uh, uh, whatever could be anything, it's going to come if you belong to him and trust him at the right time. And he'll open that door and make things work out according to his purposes and for his designs that he has already established for your lives. Man, if we can settle that, we walk through this life with a lot more joy. We walk through this life with a lot more peace in our hearts. And a security and confidence 
that the one we serve has got everything under control. Amen? All that stuff was free. Okay? I'm not charging for it today. <laughs> it's from the Lord. Right? It all happens at the right time. This reveals to us, when it all happens at the right time, it reveals to us that God's providence, His care of us, is always at work. He's always working. I know, there's that peace, but you've got to wait for it to unfold His way and in His time. Yeah, I know. But believe me, when it finally unfolds, and when the time arrives, it is the best thing for you. And you'll know it when it happens. So, verse 2. And it was found written how Mordecai had told about Bigthana and Teresh, Two of the king's eunuchs who guarded the threshold of the door of the gates and who had sought to lay hand on King Ahasuerus. That's the Persian name for Xerxes. King Xerxes is the Greek name for the same man. They tried to assassinate him. They were plotting his death. And then the king says something. He asks a great question because of having read the Chronicles because he couldn't sleep. Do you see how it's just a chain link one after another? Enjoy those, this journey, guys. One thing leads to another thing, leads to another thing. You can't get from the first step to the tenth step in one big swell. You've got to go through the, all of them. But they all, in God's plan, work together for you for good. And so, these two eunuchs uh, tried to assassinate Xerxes, the king. And so, he asks this question in verse 3, if you can see it up there. It says, what honor or distinction has been bestowed on Mordecai for this? Oh, wow. Did we reward him? I mean, after all, he saved my life. Well, for whatever reason, and I mentioned this back then, nothing happened. Actually, it was Haman who got a reward back then. And he really hadn't done anything. He's always kind of underhanded in every dealings that he has with the king. He's always trying to design his own future and using the king, really, and bragging about it with his family. So nothing happened. That was the question. What honor what distinction? Did he get the Purple Heart? Did they give him a Nobel Peace Prize? Did he win the Heisman Trophy? Oh, wait a minute. That's for college football. Sorry. You see what I'm saying? Was he MVP of the NFL? Oh, wait a minute. That's football too. I don't know why I got football in my mind. Anyway, don't we get rewards for doing good things? Don't we get recognized and have certain distinctions when we are doing things, especially in this case, saving the life of the king by making him aware of this conspiracy? Nothing had been done for him, it says at the bottom of verse number 3. What had been done for him? Nothing. 
You ever wonder when you're going to be recognized for the things you do? And you walk around going, man, it's a big O, nothing. It's a big nada, zilch, zero. Woe is me. Nobody knows what I've done. Nobody recognizes me. No one even knows I'm alive. Boo-hoo. Life's not fair. Got it? That's what was going on. Nothing had been done for him. And the answer is very clear. His gallant deed had been unnoticed. Do you ever feel that way? At least in the world? Whether it's your employer, whether it's maybe even in your own household, they don't recognize all that I do here. If they only knew that if I stopped cleaning the toilet, it would be black by the weekend. And no one cares. Those towels on the floor, and it's not a reference to Sammy. My towel's on the floor. If I don't put them in the washer, they are not getting cleaned. Because I don't know of anyone that's going to show up and show me some special treatment because of who I am. Right? Anyway, that's the question by the king. Nothing had been done. And then, verse 4 comes along and it says that Haman gives some advice. Says the king said, who's in the court? Haman had just entered the outer court of the king's palace to speak to the king about having Mordecai hanged on the gallows that he had prepared for him. So Mordecai's going there, uh, is, uh, rather, is, Haman is going there to ask the king to hang Mordecai. Perfect timing, right? And the king's young man told him, Haman is here, standing in the court. And again, I'm going to say it again, and I'm going to repeat it again, and if, you, if it sinks in, I've done my job. This is not a coincidence that Haman enters into the king's court at just that moment, and it's no coincidence that the king wanted to honor Mordecai at just that moment. And his question is not a coincidence. Oh, hey, what should I do for the man? And you see it in verse number uh, at the end of five, it says, And the king said, Let him come in in respect to Haman standing outside in the courts. And Haman came in. And the king, because this is the only guy there, he goes, Hey, I just, he's thinking in his head, I just learned of this great deed that was Mordecai had done to save my life and never had honored him. And then Haman, you're my good, you're my drinking buddy. Remember, they were drinking buddies. He's there. Hey, what should I do? And look at what it, the way it says. What should be done to the man whom the king delights to honor? He's asking Haman. His arrogance and his conceit is going to turn on him because he thinks it's him. Like someone were to say, Pastor, we're going to be honoring a pastor this week. What should we do for him? And if I were a narcissist, and if I were conceited and so full of myself, I would be thinking, when Yolanda asked me that, 
I would go, oh, wow, they're going to honor me. I would really like gift cards for Nordstrom's. You know, so, and then it, that Porsche Carrera 911 GT Turbo in gray metallic kind of would be nice to be, you know, as a reward for my awesomeness. You know, because I am awesome. I, but they're not going to say it directly. We want to honor, what should be done to honor the man in whom the king delights? And, and here's Haman because that's who he is in his character. He, it's, it's about me. These guys, man, there's no surprise party here. It's me. It's, this is just amazing that God will not be mocked. We are responsible when we live in, in this manner sinfully because what he's going to do is destroy a whole nation, annihilate them in a genocide. And he, does, and he even sleeps at night. What's going to happen is God's going to turn the tables on him. His own words are going to come back at him. Because it is true, God will not be mocked. Whatever a man sows or plants, that he will harvest sooner or later. What should be done, verse 6, to the man whom the king delights to honor? And Haman said to himself, notice this, he's thinking this, whom would the king delight to honor more than me? He doesn't know about the king's insomnia. He doesn't know that the king read the chronicles. And he was conceited enough to believe that the king wanted to honor him. And guess what? He had an answer. You notice it doesn't say that he had to think about it a day or two. Or let me just kind of, let me go on to Google and find out what's the best way to have a, a good celebration and how to honor people and no, he just had an answer. Why? Because he's always thinking about himself. He doesn't think about other people. He wants to destroy other people. Some commentaries, and this is where I think, you know, there's no way to prove it. But, you know, we're real. If we're real and we look and see how life works. Some commentaries suggest that his ultimate goal was to take the position of the king. Was to rise to the position of king. That he would have eventually, if given the opportunity, snuffed him out himself and sat on the throne. Doesn't say it in here, but that's kind of who he is, isn't it? So, he says, oh, let me say to you, verse 7, he gives his suggestion. So since you're asking me, you know, and I know it's really, he's thinking this inside, I know it's really about, it's for me, because I'm, you know, I'm so fantastic, you know. I'm all that. He said, For the man whom the king delights to honor, let royal robes be bought, brought. Like, I want to wear your clothes. Royal robes. You know that black leather jacket that I got in the closet, Sammy? No, you can't wear it. It's mine. That kind of a thing, right? Oh, the ladies are better at it. I can just see Carla talking to Becca. Hey, Rebecca. I really like that sweater. You think I can borrow it? I oh, don't know, man. 
It's mine. Get your own sweater. Right? No, your, your sunglasses are pretty cool, and I'm going out to the beach, and mine broken. Can I use them forever? That means I'm going to keep them. Right? So that's what is going on here. He says, ah, bring the royal robes which the king has worn. Notice it's the king who wore the horse that the king has ridden. And on whose head a royal crown is set. And let the robes and the horses be handed over to one of the king's most noble officials. Let them dress the man whom the king delights to honor. And let them lead him on the horse through the square of the city. Proclaiming before him, thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. He's thinking it's him. He wants a big parade wearing the king's robes and riding on the king's horses wow well at least he knows what he wants right you know I hate that conversation that you have sometimes with people when you're maybe going to go out where do you want to go to eat I don't know where do you want to go no I asked you where you wanted to go I don't know where do you want to go oh gosh let me just get Google and ask restaurants near me Right? Nobody can make a decision, but this man, he already knows what he wants. What he wants. At least that much you've got to appreciate about Haman, horrible Haman. Because he knows what he wants. But here's the deal. Be careful what you ask for. Especially when it's about you. Especially when it's driven by selfishness. Be careful what you ask for because you'll probably get it. You know why? Because God is just. He'll have you live by free will. You know that the Bible talks about there will be a time when man would be so far from God by their own choice that they had resisted and resisted and resisted the spirit and the call and his ways and his principles and they've just done it their way like Frank Sinatra says I did it my way yeah to where there is a point in Romans chapter 2 that says that he gives them over to a reprobate mind what does that mean? He finally says, okay, go ahead and do what you want. I'm done. I'm done with you. And we can't come to him without him. That's the unpardonable sin, where you reject and blaspheme the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is what draws you to Christ. And if you reject and reject and deny and deny and deny, so God says, oh, that's apparently what you want. Have at it. And that's to your doom. Please be careful. Please listen to the Holy Spirit. Please listen to what He's doing in your heart and in your soul and in your conscience because even that He can work through. And Listen and obey when you know, especially having his word in front of you, what you should be doing. Because the longer you turn from it, the thicker the walls of your heart become and hardened to the point to where he says, I'm 
giving you up to yourself. Man, I prayed, Lord, don't ever let me reach a place where I don't care what you care about. So that's what Haman's at. He says that uh, we see here the quickest reversal that has ever taken place because what Haman suggests is going to be followed in detail. And to one who's going to be honored is not him. It's going to be his enemy, the Jew, Mordecai. This is where I say a reversal takes place. You think you got it all figured out? You think you can do it your way or walk away from God or shake your fist on God? Yes, you can do that, but it's going to come back to get you. And the thing you desired, he'll give you. You don't even know it. But that's what happened with Haman. Except it turned. And I can kind of jump ahead. So the one that was going to be paraded and honored and celebrated and recognized is going to be his enemy, his arch enemy, Mordecai. And it is he who built the gallow that will hang on it. He built his own demise. That's what sin does. Because the penalty of sin is death. But the gift of God is what? Salvation through Jesus Christ. And it's your decision. Granted, the Lord's working in your heart through His Spirit to convince you of that. Why don't you say yes and see where it takes you? I promise you, it'll be a journey that you'll never regret if it's genuine. That is, your response by faith is genuine. The Lord will be there for you. He will do what he says he will do. Amen? Well, Haman, I think it's you know, one of these great moments in the Bible that we just read here where his suggestion of how to treat the man that's going to be honored, right? Nothing's going to be neglected that he recommended. But the problem is not going to be for him. And if you've been mistreated or persecuted or someone didn't deal right with you, God will correct those things sooner or later. And if it never happens sooner, like here on this, in this life, when you pass from this world to the next, either you die or you get taken home in the rapture, like if that's the time we're in, that split moment, it's all made right forever. That's our hope, that he's a God of justice, that he's right. At the end of the day, he's right. And you will live in his righteous kingdom and none of these things will be their sin, nor illness, nor wars, or famines. As the book of Revelation tells us, all of that is gone and will forever be with him. No more suffering. He will make all things right. <laughs> I want eyebrows. I don't have any. They're real thin. And that glorified body that we're going to get one day, they're going to be there. I, wouldn't, I wanted... 
You know I'm just being facetious, right? I wanted to be six foot two. Okay, I'm not going to lie. You know, I wish my mustache and beard would come in thicker. I look like a wild pirate when it starts to grow. Their hair is going all over the place. So I shave them off all the time. So I only got this kind of rough one. And you know, saying, God, and I'm, I'm just having fun with you guys. He's going to make all things right. Do you think a Hitler who destroyed millions of people, not just the Jews, but also the, uh, the um, uh, other, other d disenfranchised groups, the gypsies in Europe, they, they were slaughtered too. You think that's going to go without God at one day saying and give, asking that man if, to, to give an account for what he did? Of course he will. He'll have to stand before the judge. The righteous judge, Jesus, who always does everything right. So when we serve him, we're on the right side. We're on the right path. We have the right principles to live by. Anyhow, couldn't get any better in my opinion. So what happens here is a reversal of, 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 of fortunes. So Haman intended to put Mordecai on, on, on a on the gallow, and then Haman planned to lead Mordecai to that gallow and to shame him, and he himself thought, I'm going to get the cheers, and I'm going to get the recognition, and I'm going to get a parade, and uh, guess what? How do you say justice in Persian? That's what happened. Justice happened. Look what happens in verse 10. Then the king said to him, And hurry, take the robes of the horse you have said, and do so to Mordecai the Jew who sits at the king's gate, and his jaw must have dropped to the floor. To who? Go do everything you said, but do it to your enemy. He must have. Let's just put it this way. He had to go over to Thrifty or to uh, Save On and get some diapers. He couldn't believe it. It turned on him. Right? A U-turn. Who saw all of this coming? Who could have envisioned the, what, what happened? This U-turn that happened. Only God could have seen it. Because it's God who orchestrated it. It's God who put there the sleepless king. It's God who put the reading out. It's God who brought the right book out and it's God who allowed Haman to enter in at that very moment from the court and it was God who said, hey, what do you think I should do for the man I want to honor? All of this is because what the Lord has done. He's controlling. I like what Ephesians 1 says. In Him we have an, obtained an inheritance. See, when we belong to God, when we're His people, His children, we have an inheritance. It's all of this protection that we see going on. How God is going to allow His plan to be fulfilled in your life. That's your heritage. It's your right as a Christian. You have a right to have hope. You have a right to have a purpose and a plan for your life. You have a right to know what God's design is for your life. Look for it. He'll show it to you. And so... Ephesians kind of feeds into this whole story that we have an inheritance and it's been predestined. 
I know people get nervous about that. But destiny, meaning we could say like the novelas, the, the ones that, that are shown on the TV, when something happens, you know, they all go like this. <gasps> it was destiny. No, it wasn't. Not destiny. It's God's ordained plan for your life. Well, you guys don't watch novellas? I don't either. I just heard about it. Well, I used to be in the world. I mean, I know what they do. What does Ephesians 1.11 say? That we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him. According to what? To the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. He had a purpose and a will for Mordecai and a purpose and a will for Esther and a purpose and a will for the Jews in Persia that they wanted to slaughter. He has promises to them. He was watching over them. He was protecting them. He was guiding them. And all this happened for them. The NLT, which is a real loose translation of the same verse in Ephesians 1.11, but I like it because it says, God makes everything work out according to his plans. That's what it's saying. So now, Haman, verse 12, uh, he's, he's desperate. It says, Mordecai returned to the king's gate. That's after the parade. But Haman hurried to his house mourning that's with his head covered. And Haman told his wife, Zerich, and all his friends, everything that had happened to him. You're not going to believe it. I actually thought that I was going to be honored and recognized and given a ribbon. He says, he told Everything that happened to him, to his wife and friends. Then the, his wise men, I guess that's who his friends are, and his wife, Sherry, said to him, If Mordecai, before whom you have begun to fall, is of the Jewish people, you will not overcome him, but will surely fall before him. In other words, that if he is Jewish, which they have already identified that they are, then you're done. You're doomed. Because remember what he was trying to do against them. So God is at work, church. And not only in this story, but here's the question, and if I don't do this, then I think we, we miss a great opportunity. Do you know that God is at work in your life? Yeah, he is. Do you ever think, do you ever think though, that the odds are against you sometimes in the, as we walk through this life? Of course. Do you ever think maybe that even God's against you? Yeah, sometimes people do that. You know, God, why? God, what's going on? Right? And then you ever believe that, like, even when it comes to, like, for instance, throwing dice, you never get your numbers. You always lose. You ever feel that way? Hey, not honest, you'll say no. Can you remember the last time things someone might say? I can't even remember the last time things worked out in my way. My, my good deeds never get recognized. My integrity has never been rewarded. Well, guess what? That's what Mordecai was thinking. And guess what? 
he got recognized and he got protected. God flip-flopped their stories. See, here's what you're going to learn about the Lord. When you come to him, you are a new creature. It doesn't work in your life like it does in the world. It works in your life like it does in heaven. You're... Let your will be done on earth as it is in where? In heaven. So we can rejoice this morning knowing that by this book, knowing that God can turn your story around. And it never really is what it looks like. Oh, you might say it looks bad. Yep, it couldn't look really bad. Oh, I've been waiting for years. Yep, you could be waiting for more years. Oh, but it's not fair. Yep, it isn't. We live in a fallen world. But God is a God of transformation. God transforms our lives into the kingdom of God. The principles there work different. So, I close with this. It says at the end, at verse 14, Esther then now reveals the plot that Haman had. He says, while they were yet talking with him, the king's eunuchs arrived, and they hurried to bring Haman to the feast that Esther had prepared. This is the second feast. We're going to find it in chapter 7, which we'll go over next week. God bless you guys. Let's bow our heads. Father... We just want to thank you, Lord, for what we're learning here. And what we see is how you work. Uh, Help us to be confident. Help us to trust. Help us to know that you want what's best for us. Help us, Lord, to wait. And help us also, Lord, to celebrate when you are manifesting, when you're showing us new things and new ways. Thank you, Lord. We want to... Walk closely to you, hand in hand. And we ask you, Father, to help us, Lord. Give us, Lord, uh, the strength to when everything looks like it's against us, to know that that's not actually true. And yes, we may need to wait. But we know, Lord, based on what we're seeing here and other passages of the Bible, that all things, everything... And all things in our lives work together. They work together for good. That you intervene in our lives. That you step into our lives. And that your hand is controlling each and every detail. And we can trust you, Lord, for the outcome. And may it be for your honor. And may it be for your glory. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.